there's a couple of things we're going to unpack first, then we're going to turn to the scriptures and go through those. Uh, I've turned again to some outside sources pretty heavily. So again, um, let's get started. Let's, find, let's define a few terms. Uh, scripture in, in different translations says different things. In this translation, it says be subject to. Some translations say submit to. So let's talk about that word for a minute. To understand that word, let's talk about what it's not. So we're going to go through several what it's nots first. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Uh, you have a mind, <laughs> right? Men, women, we have minds. Submission in, in a marriage relationship is not agreeing on everything your husband says. It's obvious from the text that the audience uh, was made up of Christian women, some who were married to men who did not know Christ. So this statement must be true because it doesn't have any sense otherwise. If a husband tells her wife that she can or cannot believe a certain thing, that's obviously nonsense. The same as we talked last week about the submission to government. What goes above the government? God, submission to God, right. If a husband tells uh, her wife, his wife uh, she can or cannot believe a certain thing, that's nonsense. You don't stop thinking for yourself. If you are told to stop thinking for yourself, that's not love, that's control. Husbands, it doesn't say to control your wives. Wives, it doesn't say you're going to be controlled by your husband. Your husband does not think for you. You are a human, able to think, you're able to process, you're able to believe, you follow Christ on your own terms, not because your husband said you should or shouldn't, but because you have a relationship with him personally. The call to be married is not a call to leave your brain at the altar. <laughs> you are still, and I don't think I know any women who, who have done that, <laughs> right? All right. It doesn't always mean the husband gets the last word. Husband, sorry. <laughs> Some of you are going to catch me in the hallway in the back and go, dang it. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have the last word. In fact, if you know what's good for you, you will listen to your wives. That's an amen. Anybody? You remember we talked about, no, the, the men have to say it, <laughs> not the women. If you know what's good for you, you will listen to your wife. Uh, learn this phrase well and use it often. Uh, and I struggle with this, so, so I'm not maybe the best example. I was wrong, you were right. Husbands, I was wrong, you were right. Okay. Happy wife, happy life. That's right. I'm sorry, dear. I don't know what I was thinking. I like that one. Good job. I like that. I'm sorry, dear. I don't know what I was thinking. That's the sign of a good leader. A good leader should never be always right. I should never be always right. Uh, Daniel should never be always right. Leaders in the church, both men and... <laughs> Both men and women, Alicia, sorry, you're never always right. It, 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 it extends to everybody. We're not always right. The sign of a good leader is when they say, honey, I, or, or church, or, or individual that I've wronged, I'm sorry, I was wrong, you were right, please forgive me. Am I very good at that? Rebecca's making this face. <laughs> She's making this face at me. I work on this really hard, don't I? I have been asked to work on this, and it's something that I struggle with, and it's something that I'm sure some of us in here struggle with. When, when we're wrong, we still want to be right, right? Submission, number two. Submission does not mean you do not try to influence your husband, and Peter even says as much to women who are married to unbelievers. He said, live in a way, in such a way as to win them over to Christ. 
That's influence. <laughs> Can you imagine if somebody said submission means stop trying to change your husband? <laughs> what would you guys do with all your time? <laughs> oh, oh, did he just say that? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, th- there's going to be lots of fun today. Lots of fun, lots of laughter, little uncomfortable, little heat under the collar moments. Okay, it's going to be good. But submission does not mean you do not try to influence your husband. Submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of the wife. The, your husband is not your master. You are not the servant. You follow Christ first. The, the, it, it, when we unpack all of the things Scripture says about the, the proper relationship in a husband and wife is that the husband follows the Lord and the wife follows the husband who follows the Lord gladly. But the, the responsibility in this is on the husband to follow the Lord. Men, you guys have a big task. We have a huge task in this, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more in a moment. Submission also does not mean that the wife gets all her spiritual strength through her husband. Women, you should not seek all your spiritual strength through your husband. You should seek spiritual think, strength through the, the, the regular channels of the Christian disciplines, right? Uh, reading the Bible, studying, fellowship, uh, spending time with other Christians, uh, prayer, worship. You used to have a relationship with Christ, and that comes first. Spiritual strength comes from the Lord and nowhere else. Spiritual strength, uh, it just doesn't come from anywhere else. Okay, submission also does not mean living or acting in fear. Uh, I believe Scripture teaches men are called to a unique kind of leadership in marriage, and I believe women are called to a, a unique kind of submission in marriage, and the two roles are complementary. We're going to unpack this more. In light of what submission is not, a good working definition, I think, uh, of what that looks like in marriage is this. Submission or being subject to is, the defi- is defined as the calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and so to help carry it through according to her gifts. We're going we're gonna to unpack a little bit more about what this looks like, this relationship looks like in a moment. But the husband has a role too, and that is to love his wife. Anybody know? As he loves his own body. We're going we're gonna to unpack that in a moment too. Now the second tricky thing I want to unpack here is what did the author of Peter, uh, of 1 Peter mean when he said... Showing honor to the women as a weaker vessel. Any women that you read that and you were like, bristle. Weaker vessel? What is he saying? I believe the writer of 1 Peter here was making a simple statement based purely on biology. Men's and women's bodies are different. Uh, Muscle mass is different. Bone mass is different. Structure is different. Uh, Notice I'm saying this is physical, purely in physical strength. Uh, In the sports, we level the playing field by having men's sports and women's sports, especially in Olympics, uh, we have uh, men's swimming, women's swimming, men's track, women's track. We have all of the different sports divided out. I think that is what the, the author of First Peter is driving at here. It's for us to remember that God created us uniquely different, and we're going to unpack that more in a moment as well. But look at what Peter is not saying. Here's what Peter is not saying about this. He is not saying that these differences mean women are something less. He's not saying that. He's not saying men are here and women are here. That is not what he is saying at all. He's not saying that uh, weaker is bad and stronger is good. What he is saying simply is that women are due respect because of the way God created them. God created women the way he did. He created men the way he did, and men respect women. Women respect men. 
The idea of men and women being different is under attack in our culture, isn't it? Wildly, wildly under attack. The world wants to make men and women the same, and they are not the same. Scripture teaches very clearly men and women are not the same. We go back to Genesis, and we study through Genesis. It says, the Lord God made man, and he made woman, and they were different, and they were good. When God put his mind to it, he created us in his image, and it took man and woman to complete that image We are image bearers. If you remember, we studied back in Genesis. He gave men and women his image, and it took man and woman together to complete the reflection of what God's image is. We are unique. It's not an offense to be different. It's a blessing to be different. It's a gift to be different. The world wants us to think that it's something else, that it's a curse to be different. We should all be the same. It's okay for men to be men and women to be women. In fact, that is from the mind of God himself. It's a gift. In the beginning, it says in, in Genesis 2.18, uh, that God created, well, it says before that, God created man and woman for one another. In verse uh, 18 of chapter 2 of Genesis, it says, the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. Now, we're going to unpack the word helper in a minute because that word probably sits wrong with some people because we've overlaid our idea of Western American culture of what a helper is. When I was talking with Lydia about this, she said it makes her think of, of when she was uh, a young mom with young children and she would say, come be mommy's little helper and, you know, clean your room. And that's not what this is saying here. <laughs> Women were not created to be daddy's little helper. <laughs> that's not what that is about. We're going to unpack that in a minute. Genesis 20 uh, and through 22, it says, There was not found a helper fit for him. If you remember, God brought all the animals and, and Adam named them. And among all of the creation, there was nothing found that, would, that was fit for man. And so the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took, while he was asleep, he took one of the ribs, closed the place with flesh, and of that rib, the Lord God had taken from a man, he made into a woman, and brought her to man. I don't know uh, about you, but my response to this is, thank God, I don't want to have to do this alone. I, I love living life together with Lydia. We have our moments. <laughs> I, I fail to say, I'm, you're right, honey, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I love our relationship. I'm so glad that I don't have to do it alone. And, and, and we've got to understand this. Um, I'm not capable of living this married life without her. It, it just doesn't come to me. This isn't very culturally appropriate right now, though, because we have generations of young people, male and female, who think they don't need each other anymore. We need each other. God created us in his image, male and female, for a purpose. The author of 1 Peter here calls women the weaker vessel, but note, that our creator first looked at man <laughs> when he said, oh, there's man, he needs somebody. He needs the counterpart. He needs the, the offset, the, the other piece. Man without woman and woman without man would be incomplete. Now, I've got some text from a book I want to read. Uh, it's about biblical femininity. It's a great book. So I'm just going to read a little bit of this because I, I want you to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about here. It says, the Bible reveals God created mankind in his own image, male and female. 
This means that God is the one who created the distinctiveness of maleness and femaleness. Gender is not a false construct of society. It is straight from the mind of God. Male and female were created to reflect his image in distinct ways that bring him glory. And then continuing here on the next page. The beginning chapters of the Bible revealed that humanity was created in the image of God, male and female, equal but different. Each gender uniquely resembles or represents, I'm sorry, the glory of God. This is too significant to skim over. Men and women were created by God in the image of God for the glory of God, and God alone as creator gets to determine their identities. More specifically, as it pertains to feminine creation, God says, I will make a helper. Uh, Some translations say a helper fit or a helper suitable. But we, again, have lost the, the meaning, the meat of what that word really means because we've overlaid our own American Western ideas of what a helper is. So if we go back to the original language, we can see that what that word really means is one uh, who brings what is lacking, one who uh, works towards accomplishing a goal and in a way bringing their own strength to bear on the situation, also could be understood as an essential counterpart. I love that. That's the, that's the, the real idea of, of the helper or corresponding strength, essential counterpart. It's kind of like the right and the left hand if you think about it that way. If you can think of the right hand and the left hand, male and female, uh, they're the same but they're different, right? <laughs> they have different strengths. I don't know, I, I am right hand dominant. So my right hand's a little stronger than my left. Um, we have bones, we have muscles, we have tendons, some of us. Lydia has a broken one right now, head busted. <laughs> uh, uh, we have fingernails. One hand might be a little stronger than the, perf- you know, the preferred hand might be a little stronger. You can use each hand on its own. But together, the hands can accomplish more than they can apart, can't they? Together, they are stronger than the preferred hand. This is only going to work when the hands work together. I'm going to continue here in the book. It says, given an understanding of how these words, the the essential counterpart or the corresponding strength that is a a woman, uh, how these fit together, it says the feminine reflection was not, I love this, just take this in, listen to this. The feminine reflection of God was not the inferior second thought of an absent-minded creator. God didn't make man and go, oh no, he, he can't quite hack it, so I'll come up with something, I'll, I'll, fi- I'll get a Band-Aid. Women, you're not a Band-Aid. You are not a, a, a second thought, a, inferior product of an absent-minded creator. You are the beautiful, intentional completion of a divine pattern. God made men and women to go together. A woman's core calling is to be that. Everything about what it means to be women, a woman is essential and valuable. Women reflect God in and of themselves. Women, your value is not first in what you do, but in who God created you to be in his reflection. Did you get that? It's not about what you do but about who God created you to be, who you are in his reflection. Female image bearing is, the, the, the female image, women, 
by yourselves are fully act adequate, it says here, and I, and I agree, beyond the bounds of marriage. That is to say, healthy and robust femininity does not depend on marriage for its expression. I know some of you are single. It is expressed fully within the context of community and interpersonal relationships. So being unmarried doesn't make you less of a woman. Being married doesn't make you more of a woman. Those are different roles. This is an important distinction because we talk about identities and roles. Uh, roles are temporary often. Uh, the role of mother might last for decades. The role of student or the role of uh, career woman, those things can be short. Sometimes they, they don't span a, a lifetime. Some other roles, student, employee, athlete, uh, single, married, Roles may bring clarity to how and with whom you live out your calling, but they do not determine your identity and your calling. Listen, your identity is certain and secure. It does not shift. You are a human being created in the image of God. You were created as a woman. Your calling is an outflow of the identity as a created being. That calling is not a role, but a lifelong calling. It's part of your DNA. It is a God-given design. Women are not defined functionally by roles. They're defined inherently by how God created them. Like your identity, your calling, it is an essential counterpart, and it never changes. You guys get where we're headed with this? I want you to see how this fits together. Uh, because, like I said, some of our ideas of the way things connect uh, with the English language are not what was intended by the original text. You're not daddy's little helper. <laughs> And you aren't a second thought of, a, of an absent-minded God. You're the completion of a divine pattern, men and women, that God put together out of his mind and created and placed on this earth. So let's turn to the text. Uh, enough about uh, the caveats. We talked about helper. We talked about weaker vessel. Uh, we talked about submission. Let's talk about the text. It says, uh, wives likewise be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of you do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter here is talking to Christ-following wives, some of whom are not married, to Christ-following husbands. The directive here is simple. Same as it was uh, for servants and masters, same as it was for Christ-followers and government. We follow under submission regardless of what's above us because they were put in place by God. This is one of the themes Peter's laid out for us. He says to submit to those who are in authority, uh, as we talked about in government and servants. This is why we live out an example of Christ for your husband, wives, especially if they are not Christ followers. He says, live a life of purity and of reverence in Christ and for Christ in such a way that your unbelieving husband sees Christ in you and is one over Christ. Uh, you know what? Live out that life in front of your believing husband too <laughs> because your husbands need that. We need that pattern. You need that pattern from us, and we need that pattern from you. Peter, uh, the author of 1 Peter continues in verses 3 through 6 with um, a pretty straightforward passage, but one that has been misunderstood and directed against women for ages. Let's read it. It says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of jewelry, the clothing you wear. Is anybody wearing jewelry today? We're going to have to collect on your way out. <laughs> Any braids? Anybody got braids today? Sorry, you're going to have to tell, oh, honor your hairs up. That's probably close to a braid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. 
And then he goes on to say, this is how a holy woman who hoped God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear uh, anything that is frightening. No outward adornment, no braided hair, no gold jewelry, no fine clothing. Um, these things have been used oh, oh, throughout the ages and are still in some denominations frowned upon. They're saying, you can't dress this way. You can't, you can't wear these things. You can't do this. You have, to, you, you have to dress a certain way. Your hair has to be a certain way. You can't wear jewelry. Um, that is not what he's saying here. Uh, what he is saying is this. You are beautiful because of what God made you to be, what's on the inside. He's, he's saying that none of the things that you put on to make yourself beautiful are what make you beautiful in the eyes of God. Fine hair, uh, jewelry, fancy clothing. I mean, I like, you know, it doesn't say husbands don't do that. <laughs> but that's not the point, right? He is not saying... Don't do these things. Don't wear these things. Don't dress this way. Don't do your hair this way. He is saying that you, women are beautiful precisely because of what's on the inside. This is a battle in our culture too, isn't it? Because our culture tells young women that, that beauty is something other than what's within. And so people have image problems and they have body image problems and they have all of the, the, the disorders that can come along with that. Christ and his transformation is what makes you beautiful. You are beautiful because Christ made you. Because in the mind of God, he imagined you and he created you the way you are. Mothers and daughters, do not give way to fear. Do not give way to self-doubt. Don't give way to self-loathing. This is what the enemy wants to do. And the world is going to make it seem like beauty is something than, other than what it really is. But beauty is on the inside. What really matters and what has always mattered is who you are in Christ and what Christ has created in you. The specific gifts and abilities and personality that he has given you. What really matters are those things. Everything else is optional. Appearances are optional. Dresses, well, <laughs> you should wear something. I almost said dress is optional, but let's not, let's not do that. These things do nothing to improve your relationship with Christ or with your husbands. Now, Peter, uh, author of 1 Peter, turns to husbands, and he says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Being a husband, according to the teachings we hold to, to Scripture, has never, ever been about keeping a woman down. That is not the role of a husband. Not to keep women in control or somehow corralled or somehow uh, held back or hindered. Husbands should always be, and in, in, in every way, treating their wife with respect, remembering that the wife is a co-heir with man of Christ. We are, you're co-heirs. It's not... First place and second place, it's same place. In fact, men, <laughs> Christ gave your life for you and for your wife just the same. And in fact, if we, if we, we continue to think about Christ, our role as a husband is to love and to emulate Christ 
and to lay down our very life in order to love her well. Listen to Ephesians 5.33. It says, however, Paul says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects the husband. Love your wife as you love yourself. That's a tall order. Any, any of you men, you love your wife the way you love yourself. I don't, I don't see any hands. Love your wife as yourself. How tall an order is that? Because we're selfish, right? We're selfish. Husbands, men, stop being so selfish. <laughs> we have to stop being so selfish. You want a first Peter wife? You have to be an Ephesians husband. <laughs> you want a first Peter wife? You have to be an Ephesians husband. You want to be first, but Christ says you should be second. You want to be served, but we take a page from the life of Christ who said, I came to be not served, but to serve others. That's our role. I don't know what your house was like, but you know, some of you who are older probably grew up in the house where uh, the wife waited hand and foot on the husband. You may still have that house. I don't know. That's not what we're talking about here. Maybe it should have always been that the husband was <laughs> waiting on the wife. Husbands are like, duh, why are you saying that? But if we're going to emulate Christ, if we're going to be Christ, Christ came to lay everything down for everyone else. And that is our role as husbands, is to lay everything down for our wives. Instead of wanting to be served, we serve. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could bend down from heaven and become the Savior servant, is it too much to ask that we could do the same? We're, we're not God, and we're already here. Love your wife. Serve your wife. Lay down your selfishness for your wife. Again, Paul in Colossians 3 explains what love, uh, real Christ-like love looks like here. In, in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, it says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Does that sound like you guys? Does that sound like us men? I'm going to read those again. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Husbands, have you clothed yourselves? Have you put these things on? I, I love that he, he, he writes about it in a way of not just think about these things or try to live this way, but he's like, put these on as clothing. Think about that juxtapo juxtaposed against what is written in 1 Peter about women, don't adorn yourselves with these things, but instead be this way. This is, this is a, a dictate, if you will, for all created order, men, women, Put on, be dressed, instead of in, in those outward adornments, be dressed in these things, kindness, compassion, humility, patience, meekness, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Put on all of these things, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Lydia and I work on our relationship a lot. I think we have a pretty good relationship. Uh, we're at 29 and one month years so i mean don't it <laughs> she's very patient <laughs> 
She's a very patient woman. <laughs> Amen. Uh, she has put on uh, compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness. And I've sure tried. <laughs> and I will continue to try. Uh, and I continue to try to live second and to lift her up. I don't always hit it. <laughs> I don't. I want to make her life a joy. That's the role of the husband. Make the life of your wife a joy. Make it easy for her to be a First Peter wife. Make it easy for her to say, I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you do. Lydia and I have been all over, we've been all over the world, all over the United States. I don't, at least she's never said there was a moment where she said, you know, well, you can go, I'm going to stay. She was always like, yeah, let's go. I want to go. I want to be a part of this. I want to support you. I want to I be the, the counterpart. I want to be the strength. I want to be the left hand or the right hand. I want to I do this together. I want to make her life a joy. Uh, as much as I try, <laughs> I still struggle with that. And don't forget the warning. There's a warning here. There's no warning for the women, but there's a warning for the men. At the end of verse 7, I'm going to read all of verse 7. He says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Are you very understanding? Showing her honor. To showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are co-heirs with you in Christ. But listen to what he says at the end. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, do you ever feel like your prayers are just going off out into space and there's no answer? You ever feel like that? Look at your fellowship of Christ, and look at how you're treating your wife. If you feel like your prayers aren't going anywhere, maybe you need to work on your relationship at home first. I don't know completely what that verse means, but there's a warning there from the author of First Peter to do these things. Live with your wife in an understanding way, showing her honor because she's a co-heir, an image bearer in Christ, and do these things if you don't, I'm going to have a hard time hearing you. I don't know if it means that or if it means you have trouble at home, you're less likely to have a healthy relationship with God. And so maybe if there's struggles in the house, you're probably struggling with God too. I don't know. Somewhere in there, it's a, it's a mystery of what that means. But take the warning at heart. Whatever the warning means, Understand that if you're having difficulty in your relationship with your wife, it will hinder your relationship with God. That, that is clear. Here's the point. In this life, we have a lot of things backwards. Uh, and I, I feel like whenever I read Scripture, uh, whenever we read the Old Testament, the New Testament, and we compare it with life today, it, it, it says the opposite of what the world is saying in many ways. And again, we have that here. We often say, and I've heard men and I've heard women say this, if only my husband would act like he should, then I would honor him. I would love him. I would follow him. I would pray for him. I would fill in the blank. And I've heard men say, if only my wife would get in line. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before, right? If only my wife would get in line. If only she would, she would be a good wife, she would love me, she would honor me, she would take care of me, then I would do X. 
we have this completely backwards. And I've heard both men and women say this about their spouses. If only they would act this way. If only they would do this thing. If only they would try. You ever said that about your spouse? If only she would try a little harder. If only he would try a little harder, then I would try. Listen, that's backwards. I never ever see anywhere in Scripture where it says, husbands, love your wives if they love you first. Wives, love your husbands as long as they love you first. It doesn't say that. I would be more submissive. I would be more loving. I would be more patient if I don't see that. The responsibility for right living is always on you. Husband, you live right first. You be an Ephesians husband first. Wives, it's also on you. <laughs> you be a first Peter wife first. It's not dependent on the treatment you receive back. You're loving your spouse, whether it's husband or wife. You loving your spouse is a reflection of the, of the quality of the relationship you have with God. Do you see that? The quality of your love relationship with your spouse directly correlates to the love quality of your relationship with God. I, I would submit to you, I don't think you can have one that's healthy and one that's not. I think they're either both going to be healthy or they're both going to be unhealthy. So be very careful how you live. Not looking for her or for him to live a certain way before you get in line. <laughs> God's saying get in line. Love your wife. Love your husband. Husbands, you be Ephesian husbands first. Wives, you be First Peter wives first. Don't make your spouse earn it. This doesn't say anywhere in Scripture. Make them earn it. That's the world. That's the world. He deserves it no matter what he is like. She deserves it no matter what she's like. Why? Well, God said so. <laughs> They're image bearers of God. They were created in the image of God. And they, together, husband and wife, man and woman, make that complete image picture of who God is. Doesn't You ever think about that? I, I, and we're going to close in a second. But you ever think about that it took... Man and woman, in all our complexity, and all of our uniqueness, and all of our differences, and in all of our sameness, to adequately represent God. God must be amazing. How amazing could God be? That it took all this diversity, all the diversity in this room, male, female, Hispanic, Ukrainian, whatever, Mexican, Puerto Rican. It took all of that together and, and there's still not enough here that if we put it all together would adequately represent God. But, but we start to get an idea of what God looks at or what God looks like and what God is like. You ever look at people through that lens? That's the lens we should see people through. I mean, we look at people and we're irritated. Oh, that guy drives terrible. She's irritating. My wife did this. My husband did that. My kids, my dad, my mom my neighbor, the pastor, <laughs> whatever. The people you are looking at are image bearers of Christ. They're reflections of who God is. It's an incomplete picture. But God created them and made them very uniquely. If you have any questions about this, <laughs> we'll talk about it on Wednesday. 
uh, in our group, uh, in the Thursday group that meets on Thursday. If you don't go to one of those groups and you have a question, type it up, drop me an email. Uh, this, this, uh, this section of 1 Peter always brings up questions, um, but they're good questions. So let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to share this meal together. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, this has been a complicated topic. I pray that you add understanding to what we have unpacked today. Lord, that we might, uh, sometimes it's hard to even know what to ask, Lord. Help us to recapture what it means to be the unique male and female that you created us to be. Lord, we thank you for the uniqueness in that, for the diversity. Uh, the diversity and uniqueness of male and female, Lord, is something we should celebrate, not something we should denigrate. It's not something we should be disappointed in. It's not something we should look at and say, well, man, man God, really, you messed up on that. We'll make it right by changing it all. God, help us to see and to understand who you are through the lens of your creation that you created male and female, the counterparts to represent you. And Lord, maybe, maybe, may we remember uh, and, and carry with us the gravity of responsibility that being made in your image carries. Lord, teach us to love each other. Men and women, husband and wife, parent, child, all the complicated relationships. Lord, it, 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 you can't tie all this up in 45 minutes. But Lord, work in our hearts, work in our minds, work in our attitudes. Teach us what it means to be First uh, Peter wives and Ephesians husbands. Teach us what it means to have the mind of Christ and to be like Christ, to emulate Christ with our actions, with our mouths, with our thoughts with our deeds. Lord, we love you. And we want to honor you in this, Lord. It, I pray that you will you'll lead us to do these things. And in the words that we read in, uh, in Scripture, above all of these things, Lord, may we put on love that binds all things together in perfect unity. Lord, teach us to love. In Jesus' name, amen.